We are in week four of a series called Reconstruction. I won't try to go back and, and rebuild everything thus far. You can watch it on YouTube. I'm actually putting written copies of this on my blog. I, I hadn't written in the blog in like five years, but I just, people, small groups were studying it and like, what did you say Sunday? And so I'm just taking the written transcript. It's the transcript of what I'm supposed to say, not what I actually said. So sometimes, believe it or not, I, what I say here is not what's in the notes, but I'm just taking the notes and, and putting them online. But uh, I want to start this morning with something shocking that happened Monday night. So Monday night, uh, we had our elders meeting. And in the elders meeting, one of the agenda items was the series. And so that, that's not uncommon. Like, I just put it on the agenda, and I'm like, what do y'all think? You know, what kind of, what are you hearing out there? What kind of feedback do you have for me as we get going in this series? And uh, one of them was complimenting me, but in the middle of the compliment, he threw in this little offhanded, no, I haven't agreed with everything you've said. And then he went back to complimenting me. So it was like a compliment sandwich. It was like, oh, this series is great. You're doing a great job. No, I don't agree with everything you're saying, but now you're doing a great job. And it's like, how could you? I mean, you, you, my brother, you don't agree with everything I've said? I mean, how could you? Um, but that wasn't the shocking part. The shocking part is he never told me what it was. <laughs> That's the shocking part. He never felt the need to like straighten me out or correct me or now we need to talk about this because we got to fix this. And the reason is because it wasn't that big a deal. If it was a big deal, he probably would have brought it up because that is one of the roles of our elders is, you know, they, they hold me accountable. So if it was a big deal, he probably would have said, now we need to talk about this. But it wasn't a big deal, and he was comfortable enough knowing that I don't have to agree with everything you say on stage, and you don't have to agree with everything I say in this meeting because we agree on what matters most, and at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. And I, I can't tell you how refreshing it is to serve at a church like that. To, to serve at a church that does not demand conformity in order to practice community. Or does not demand conformity in order to practice community. And, and that, it's so refreshing. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, I hope you'll keep it in mind the next two weeks. <laughs> because... There's a good chance, the topics we're going to cover, there's a good chance I'm going to say some things. You're going to feel like that elder. I'm going to say some things that you're not necessarily going to agree with. Maybe not today so much. Next week is the one I'm not looking forward to. Because today we're going to start, we talked about this last week. We talked about the, the reasons people are deconstructing. And I want to take a couple of weeks and dig a little bit deeper into some of these reasons. And uh, the one I want to dig in today was thanks to something somebody said to me. I saw you when coming in the lobby, uh, Lacey, I believe it was. But it was some, uh, somebody came up to me after services Sunday, last Sunday, and said, um, we were just talking about these reasons for deconstructing. And I said to them, like, I was kind of hesitant to put number one on there because it, that can be offensive to people who are going through that because it, it's like you're dismissing it, you know. But, I mean, it is trending. I mean, that's true. It is trending, and trends, by definition, are trendy, you know, I mean, like, I, I think it's right, but I, I was hesitant to put it up there. And she said, I don't mind that you put it up there, but I do think that the reason number one is there is because of number three. And I was like, wow, wow. 
I mean, like, the, the, all the podcasts and all the exposés and, the, you know, the documentaries and all the stuff that's going on exposing all these sins and misdeeds of the church is fueling a lot of the deconstruction. One of the reasons it's trending could be the sins of the church. And I think she's right. I would actually put five in there as well. So I would kind of put three and five as contributing to one. You say, well, why not four? Well, four's been around forever. I mean, four, the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, was written to address four, a thorny theological problem. Why do good people suffer? You know, what is the cause of suffering? I mean, that's what the book of Job is all about. So people have for years been deconstructing over difficult theological questions. And um, three and five, well, to be fair, they've been around a long time too. It's just the current iteration of them is fueling a lot of the current deconstruction. So we need to talk just a little bit more about those. So we need to talk about three and five. I'm going to start with three today. We're going to start with the sins of the church. So here's the way I thought about doing this. I, I was going to just reference Julie Royce because several of you asked me, who is that? You know, and so Julie Royce is a church investigative reporter. And I said last Sunday in one of the services, I have a love-hate relationship with her. Uh, I love her work. It needs to happen I hate reading her stuff because it's like, it, it's like the frequency of the stories you write is somewhat disturbing. And so I was going to just read one of her articles, just pull out a Julie Roy's article and say, let me read what happened this week in the world of church. And uh, like the last one was just crazy. I mean, it was a, it was a pastor, like 25 of his staff and, and volunteers came and you know, accused him of bullying and creating you know, this toxic culture, toxic work environment. Uh, financial misdeeds, uh, inflating their numbers. You know, they're named one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, and they were like, that ain't true. You know, they've inflated the numbers and all. Just, they had, um, and I, they had a strip competition in a staff meeting. I mean, it was, I mean, just like, I'm serious. I mean, this is crazy time. And their last services today, this huge church, multiple campuses. And he resigned this week, and uh, they were like, we're just shutting it all down. And those stories are, I mean, like, they're just incredible. And I, like, I could, we could tell all those stories. But the story I want to tell is just a little bit different. It's one that Julie's never written about. And it's because it happened right before she had a podcast. So I don't think, I haven't seen, I haven't read all her stuff, okay? But I don't think she's ever written a story about this church. And I'm not going to name the church, and I'm not going to name the pastors. I think you'd recognize at least two of the pastors because it's a, Fairly good-sized church in an, in an urban environment, it's a big city. Um, there's two main pastors of the church. There may be three. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it's structured because, you know, some churches, they've got a lead team and, like, you've got a pastor of operations and a, a lead pastor of operations and a lead pastor of teaching and a lead pastor of community or whatever it is. So there was at least two to three pastors on this lead team. What I know from what I read about it is that uh, each pastor had his own little group. So, like, there were, you know, certain people, like, affiliated with this pastor, and certain people affiliated with this pastor, and, like, it, he was the God-ordained pastor. He was the Spirit-filled pastor. So it created a lot of division and factions in the church, and um, the friction, jealousy, petty quarrels. You can imagine what church business meetings were like. 
And church business meetings are not good in healthy churches. We've never had one, by the way, and we never will have a church business meeting. But, uh, but I mean, you can imagine their church business meetings because if Pastor So-and-so recommended it, then they were all his little group were like, yeah, we're for him. I follow Pastor So-and-so. And if Pastor other, ah, we're for him. I follow this pastor. Crazy. They were even, there was lawsuits between members over disagreements in the church. So it's, it's, it's crazy time. The other two big things that were going on that were leading to the dysfunction of the church, one was sexual immorality. So there was this culture of tolerating sexual abuse and, and infidelity, and they didn't confront it. They didn't demand accountability for it. So it was kind of just a shrug of the shoulders. It was kind of like, you know, well, it's just, that's, it is what it is. You know, they were actually kind of proud about what they were tolerating. In the, I mean, they were, there was, so there was stuff happening in the church that stood and been happening in the church, and they were kind of proud, like, oh, well, you know, it's God's grace, and they, they were kind of tolerating it. But the other one, and this was the big one, and I, don't, I haven't seen a video of their services, but uh, what I've read, they were just chaotic. Like, there's no order. Uh, everybody's talking at once. People are talking over other people. Some people felt like they deserved the stage more than other people deserved the stage. And so like they would, you know, some people felt like they had better gifts than other people or they were more blessed or privileged by God than other people. And they actually, there was classism in the church. So the rich would sit in one section of the church and the poor would sit in another section of the church. Like the rich had reserved seating kind of thing. And they, they I mean, it was, this was the crazy one, the kicker. They had, a, they had an open view of, of alcohol. So uh, they would have had wine in a lot of their meetings, like their small group meetings and stuff, they would have they would have wine. Not a huge deal, but people were getting drunk in the church meetings. People were getting drunk. Like they were taking communion in their small group meetings, and people were getting drunk. And finally, somebody reported them to the bishop who was over that district, and he wrote them a letter. And I have read the letter, and you probably have too. It's called 1 Corinthians. And so it's, it was in the Bible. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about a church like two months ago. I'm talking about a church from 1,900 years ago. And this is what was going on in their church. And if that doesn't sound believable to you because you've never read the letter of 1 Corinthians, go read it because everything that I said that was happening in 1 Corinthians, that's exactly what was happening. And I use that example because I want you to see that, um, well, one, it's, it's not that new. Like, the sins of the church are not that new. They've been going on for a long time. Uh, even the thing that struck me this week when I was reading through Corinthians and comparing it to, like, the stuff Julie Roy's wrote about, I'm like, we're not even coming up with new sins. I mean, it's like, like we're not even creative enough to come up with new sins. It's the same old sins. It's ego. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's, it's envy. It's bullying. It's cover-up. It's abuse. I mean, it's the, some of the same old stuff. But the other reason I want you to see that that way is because I believe that the prescriptions Paul gives to the Corinthian church is the same prescription needed to the modern church. And so that's why instead of just focusing totally on the sins, I want to focus on the remedy. Because I think what Paul tells the Corinthians is exactly what he would tell the modern church today. It might be slightly different examples, but if somebody was to report to him what was going on in the evangelical church in America today, I think he'd write another letter. It might be a little more scathing than 1 Corinthians is, the first American letter or the first United States letter might be a little more scathing, but I think he'd say a lot of the same stuff because it's the same sins. It's the same prescription. So here's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into this, and I'm gonna, I've got a ton of scripture I'm going to throw on the screen, 
and Amy's going to have to keep up with it because I got here too late this morning and I couldn't edit my slides. And I said, mm, I'll just use the Bible and you keep up. And she said, thanks. Um, so, first one. I got, I got four, four I want to give you right here. First one is this. Don't, I'll go back, Amy, sorry. Don't make the pastor a celebrity. Don't make this pastor a celebrity. There is one celebrity in the church, and his name is Jesus. So don't make it about, I follow Rick Warren, or I follow Bill Hybels, or I follow Joel Osteen, or I follow Tim Keller, or I follow Brian McLaren, whoever it is. And don't say, well, I go to Andy Stanley's church, and I go to Bill Hybels' church. And I go. Don't. Don't do that. Because those people will let you down. Not because they're pastors, but because they're human. They will let you down. If we put our pastor on a pedestal, and it's weird for me to think that anybody will put me on a pedestal, because I'm like, if you knew, you, you, if you only knew, you'd be questioning whether or not I had credentials to be your pastor. But I'm saying, I'm going to let you down. I promise I'll let you down. You're going to see me do stuff and say stuff or maybe post stuff, and you go, I can't believe the pastor did that. I'm going to let you down because I'm, I'm human. And um, we're so tempted to do this in today's day and age. Jesus is the only head of the church. Here's the way that Paul put it in the book of Corinthians. He said, um, starting in verse 11, he said, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household had informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispius and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. And then later in chapter 2, I think it's verse 2, he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on, human, on God's power. It's very tempting in this day and age to rest our faith on human wisdom, human institutions, human leaders, human approaches. Um, and a lot of it's the church's fault, honestly. Because the church, in order to gain followers and gain members, has adopted, in many cases, human approaches. And so you read church growth books and they talk about branding and marketing and platforming and algorithms and influence and, and all of the, I mean, that, that it's, don't put your faith in a church brand. It's sad that those two words would go together. And don't put your faith in a church pastor. It's, it, 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 you're setting yourself up for disappointment. The whole celebrity pastor thing needs to be dis, deconstructed because it's not healthy. And I'm not even sure how to deconstruct it at this point. But people who are deconstructing because they were, you know, like, we're, we're putting these guys on a pedestal and making faith all about them instead of all about Jesus, keep doing that. You need to be doing that um, because it is unhealthy. That needs to be deconstructed. There's two really good critiques of it. If you want to do a little bit of a deep dive, uh, Caitlin Beatty, the former editor of Christianity Day, wrote a book called Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Profits Are Hurting the Church. And if you're feeling a little more snarky, Ben Kirby wrote a book called Preachers and Sneakers, Authenticity in an Age of For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities. And both are pretty good critiques and needed critiques. So that's number one. Number two, don't hide sin or cover up abuse. 
And this applies to financial misdeeds and sexual misdeeds most often in the church. But the church has a history of covering up sin. And we think we're helping because the, the rationale is always like, well, we don't want to hurt the reputation of the church. I mean, can you imagine if this came out? Can you imagine if people found out about this? Oh, goodness, nobody would ever come to church again or nobody would ever trust leaders again. We've got we to gotta protect the reputation of Christ's church. And we don't want to hurt the reputation of the individuals involved. And so you'll, you'll hear both of those reasons. Um, we have to come clean. We have to practice honesty and transparency. We've got, we've got no option. When there's sin in the camp, the Christian response is not defensiveness, is not cover-up, is not hiding. The Christian response is confession and repentance. So when sin occurs, confess and repent. Own it and put some proper boundaries in place so that others don't get hurt. There are some leaders who lose the right to be in a position of leadership. There are some pastors who lose the right to be in a, in a position as a pastor. They may be forgiven by God. They may be restored in their relationship with God. But they can't step into that role of leadership anymore. I think one of the most disturbing things when you read about uh, what happened within the Catholic Church and the, the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church or you read about the, the recent report that came out in the summer about the Southern Baptist denomination, uh, it was disturbing the number of churches that the, the sin was discovered and they kept it quiet, and they kept it internal, and they didn't want anybody else to know, and they quietly transferred that pastor to another church, and it's, it's ripe for another act of abuse. And that's not just, I'm not picking on the, those denominations. It's happened in the denomination I grew up in. I know stories of church elders who found out about the sin, decided we're going to keep this internal, they accepted the resignation, and they never told the other church where they applied what happened at their church. And that's, it's, just, it's, it's just wrong. Um, it, you think about what that does uh, to the victims, to know that their story's not believed, and their abuser's in the same position at another church and likely going to do the same things again. Now, you say, well, where did Paul address that in 1 Corinthians? Well, he didn't address that specifically. His was a little bit different, but uh, take a look at what he says in chapter 5. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment on him in the name of our Lord as... The, in the name of our Lord Jesus, own the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am in spirit with you and the, the power of our Lord is Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, like we don't like reading this stuff today. In today's church, we, we try to skip over those verses. Let's talk love. Uh, we try to skip over those verses because we like, you know, well, what about forgiveness? And, and yeah, there's obligations to forgive, but there's an obligation to protect, protect those entrusted to our care, especially the most vulnerable. And, and Paul's reference to pride here could have referred to the fact that they were proud of their tolerance and freedom, which is a distortion of grace. And both types of churches do this. Okay, both type, progressive and conservative churches. In conservative circles, it looks like victim blaming and replatforming offenders too quickly in the name of forgiveness. In progressive circles, it looks like shrugging our shoulders at sexual sin and allowing immorality to go on in the name of consent. So... That's something the church has to address. The church has to take, do not cover up or hide sin, specifically sexual sin. 
Um, number three. Got one more up there. Well, I got two more, actually. Don't make it all about you. Don't make it all about the pastor. And don't make it all about you. It's about us. In other words, don't insist that your gifts are better than others' gifts. Don't insist that your interpretations are better than other interpretations. Don't insist that your ways are better than other ways. Don't insist that your style of worship is better than other styles of worship. That contemplative worship is much better than expressive worship. Or expressive worship is much better than contemplative worship. There are multiple ways to worship. And don't think that God has somehow blessed you more than others because you have more education, more money, more influence, more privilege, more followers, more fame, or anything. Actually, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians addresses this issue. But I, I want to give you just a, a little bit of it in chapter 12. This is chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 12. He says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized for one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. And even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. And then he explains himself. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts have no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In other words, racism, classism, genderism, whatever other ism there is, you just come up with whatever ism you want to come up with, have, have no part in the body of Christ. We are one through Christ, and Christ has put us in the body, and as members of the same body, we should have equal concern for one another. And to do that, we have to put others first and ourselves last, which is following the ways of, of, of Jesus. That he, he did not consider himself you know, to be exalted. He exalted others. So, so we, we put the needs of others before ourselves. And the church ought to be the last place. We'll talk about this next Sunday. The church ought to be the last place that we encounter political and cultural divisions because we have a unity that rises above those things. Which is my last one, last point. So that's four don'ts, <laughs> three don'ts, three don'ts, one do, and it covers all of it. Do practice love. Do practice love. As Paul built his argument in 1 Corinthians, he, he got on him, he got after him about this, and he got after him about this, and he got after him about this, quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this, and then his whole argument leads to uh, chapter 13 where he says, let me show you a better way. Let me show, he actually says, let me show you the most excellent way. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body the hardship that I may boast, but I do not love, I gain nothing. And then he, he describes what love is. I won't read that one again. I've already used that one in this series. And then in verse 8 he says, Where there are prophecies, those will cease. Where there's tongues, those will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, 
what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He doesn't say the greatest of these is, is correct doctrine. Or the greatest of these is belief. Or uh, the greatest of these is moral teaching. Or the greatest of these is behavior. Uh, or the greatest of these is winning the culture war. Or the greatest of these is getting the right Supreme Court justices nominated so that they'll vote the way we want. Or the greatest of these is getting our guy in the White House. I mean, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And he says when the church learns how to love, it'll finally grow up. I mean, that's the way I understood the end of all of that. I know people get into the succession of spiritual gifts, and that's what he's talking about at the end. I really still think he's talking about love. And I think what he's saying is that, you know, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when love comes, it's, it's fulfilled. Like we, When we are acting childish, it's because we're not making love the central ethic of the church. And if love should be the central ethic of the church, it's that way because it was the central ethic of Jesus, his life and his teachings. And so it should be what we make priority. We have to elevate love. When we do that, we grow up. So um, let me me say something to, to two different groups real quick in closing. And then we're going to close with a prayer. Um, I'll explain why we're going to do the prayer. But to those of you, and you're probably online, you may be in the room, maybe some of you in the room, but to to those of you who are in the process of deconstruction, um, because of church hurt or because of the sins of the church, either what happened to you or what you read about, and and both of them can can have that um, effect. So I always say this. One is don't allow the failings of God's people to be uh, the only judge of God's character. Uh, God, God gave us Jesus to reveal his character. So if you want to know what God's character is like, look to Jesus. Don't look to pastors. Don't look to Christian celebrities. Don't look to Christians. I mean, look, I mean, I'm talking, look to Jesus. Read about who Jesus is because when God said, I want to reveal my life, I want to reveal the, my heart to the people, he gave us Jesus. So look to Jesus. And uh, two, if you have been hurt by church, I want to encourage you uh, not to give up on it. And I, I know that's hard for me to say. It may take some time uh, to be comfortable enough to come back into a, an assembly. You're comfortable enough to join online right now, which I think is, is a step in that direction. And it's a lot safer online because you can roll your eyes at everything I'm saying and, and nobody sees you. And you can shake your head and go, no, that's wrong. And it, but um, don't give up on church. Um, you don't have to return to the same unhealthy community that you might have been coming from. But there are healthy faith communities out there. There really are. They do exist. Uh, we're trying to build one here. We don't do it perfect. None of them do it perfect. But find a place that will love you, that will accept you, and it will help you follow Jesus. Now, let me say something to those of us who are not deconstructing, or maybe you have already deconstructed. You know, you, you've already worked through uh, the issues that we were talking about. Uh, for us, I would say have empathy and grace 
for those who aren't where we are right now. So give them some space uh, to grieve. Give them some space to process and welcome their critiques without defensive or arrogance. We, we, um, they deserve some patience. And God doesn't need us to defend him. God, God's not dependent on me to be his great defender. He can defend himself. He can, he can stand on his own two feet. Uh, and the second one is adopt a posture of repentance and confession. When people point out the sins of the church, our first reaction is like, well, it's not like that everywhere. And it's not us. And it's not, we're not doing that. You know, like we, our first reaction, anytime anybody points our faults out, our first reaction is defensiveness. Um, it's okay to simply respond with, you're right, that was wrong. We need to repent of that. I mean, that, that's, I mean that's, that's what Scripture teaches us to do, right? I mean, when, when something is wrong, what Scripture teaches us to do is repent. And I want to show you a little example of this, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to pray. I just want to talk briefly about this. But you, I don't know how many of you have seen this online. This is the Asbury Revival. I don't know how many of you have seen it. Um, if you haven't seen it, Google it. I'm not going to tell the whole story. Um, I am a highly trained skeptic of revivals. I'll just go ahead and be honest. You know, I, the denomination I grew up in taught me uh, to, to raise an eyebrow at all uh, expressions of emotionalism. So I, I'm, a, I'm a highly trained skeptic. I say that. I'm confessing that. But there are some good things happening here. One is uh, it's non-denominational. It's just about Jesus. There's no denomination being identified. Uh, two, there's no culture war going on. As far as I know, there's no cultural agenda. There's no boycott or, you know, they're not trying to go after any particular group of people or anything. It's just worship and prayer. Uh, three, it's led by young people, which the same people that all the articles are telling us, the church is in trouble, the church is in trouble, they're all going off the rails, and there's not going to be a church in 20 years. It's young people leading the revival. But the biggest thing that I think is a positive out of it is as with every revival, if you study revivals and you study the history of revivals, it's characterized by repentance. It's not characterized as defending the church and defending and, and we got to teach people and strip, set people straight and correcting people. It's, it's characterized by repentance. And I, I think as I read stories about it, I'm like, they may be on to something. I don't want to worship 10 straight days in a row. I'll just be honest with you. I don't, I, that's not, I'm not going to be a 24-hour worshiper. You guys may be. That's good. But repentance, that, that might Maybe we're on to something. Instead of pointing the finger at those who are deconstructing, we just deal with our, we introspectively deal with our own sins and our own things and repent of those things. So that's, that's my challenge at the end here. I'm going to let Ebony close this in a word of prayer because Ebony messaged me this week and said, you know what? I, I just realized, you can find a microphone over there somewhere. It's like I realize this may be triggering for a lot of people talking about church hurt. And she's like, I've been through my share of it. And I would just like to close with a prayer of healing. And so we're going to do that. And this will be the way that we'll close our service. Ebony. Thank you, Russ. Thank you for talking about a hard topic that not a lot of church leaders are brave enough to talk about. Um, in 2015, um, I've mentioned this before, but in 2015, I experienced a very toxic church situation. And I walked away from the church. I didn't leave Jesus because I understood, as Russ just mentioned, that imperfect people do not represent a perfect God. But I told God when I walked away from that church that I would never be committed to another church and I would definitely never be on a church staff. But I was, I'm so thankful that as I walked through that season of hurt, I 
listened to Jesus and I followed him and I said yes every single step of the way. So when I emailed Russ this week, I understood my own church experience. I understand the church experience of some of you in this room, some of you watching online who have uh, dismissed church, thinking that every church environment is going to be toxic. You've heard the podcast. You've heard of all of these ways that people have not um, been faithful at holding the hearts of God's people. And so if you are one of those people that is experiencing church hurt or have been in a church that has not handled their finances incorrectly, I want to, as a church leader, um, apologize to you um, and say I'm sorry. That is not the way that Jesus wants us to minister to his people. I talked to someone this week who has told me for years they've walked away from a church environment because of spiritual abuse. So I know that you all are here, you all are attending, but I know some of you are sitting in the pews hurt. And so as we close in prayer today, I want to repent for the global church and the mistakes that we have made and to pray for your healing and my continued healing as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the honor and privilege to be here to represent your people. As I was listening to the message today, I remember the day that I walked away from church and I said, why me? But God, I understand today is because I can look in the eyes of my brothers and sisters who are experiencing the same thing, who are crawling back into the church, hurt, wanting a healthy church environment, and I can look them in the eyes and say, I have experienced that too, and I'm here. God, I thank you for healing, and I thank you for that. People are not um, turning their backs on you because of what they've experienced in the church. God, but I thank you that they will just um, be brave and get involved, and as Russ said, find a healthy church environment to be able to continue to heal and grow in their relationship with you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be on staff here at Mary Hills, a church with imperfect people who are trying their very best to represent a perfect God. God, and I just thank you for 2023. God, I thank you for all that you're going to do here at Murray Hills, through Hope Center, through continued healing. And God, I also ask that you will bring revival right to our stage. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.